preparing to uh, continue in our series of um, Walt Worthy. Of course, I had, uh, we had done Walt Worthy as a wife and Walt Worthy as a husband over the last couple of messages. And <clears throat> next on the list is um, children and, and parents. And I, and I started trying to study that, and I kept going, everything kept going back to marriage. And I kept going, God, I've done that. They're tired of hearing that. Let's go to something else. And then Montana come in one day this week, and she said, you, are you going to talk to the kids this week? And I said, yeah, I reckon. She said, oh, man, I, you'll probably tell stories about me, and I won't be there. <laughs> and I said, well, I hate to disappoint you and make fun of you with you not there, so I'll wait till you are here uh, to do that. <laughs> no, then it registered with me, all the kids are gone, and... There's no need in preaching to them if they're not here to listen, right? So what we're going to do is we've covered walking worthy as wives and walking worthy as husbands. So now we're going to talk about walking worthy in marriage as a couple, the two of you together. Because our society, as we have talked about many times, and I have had the discussions with multiple people, has dumbed down marriage. And it's not, it doesn't hold the honor that it once held. And it doesn't represent what God originally designed it to represent in society today. It's been dumbed down and it's been, I mean, it, you know, there are major denominations of Christianity taking votes on how to define marriage. I don't think that's necessary. I think the Bible pretty well defines marriage and tells us what marriage is meant to be and what it's supposed to represent and how it's supposed to look. And everything about marriage has been dumbed down and, and the importance of it has been taken away. And, and, and you know, um, which some people are just kidding, but some people are serious. Have you ever met, I have, met that guy that when somebody brings up marriage, you go, oh, I wouldn't do that. That's the worst mistake you can ever make. <laughs> and you know what? He's serious in his world. But you know why? <laughs> because he ain't pouring anything into it. He's not trying to help it to be what God desires for it to be. Listen, the single greatest possession I have on this earth, aside from my salvation, is my marriage. I take it very serious and I spend a lot of time with it and I, and I try to do what God says do with it. But when you don't do those things and you don't put in the effort and you don't want it to represent or you don't try to help it represent what God desires for it to represent, you know what? It's a drag. <laughs> it shouldn't be a drag. Because it has purpose and what you have to do is give your marriage a purpose. And once it has a purpose, then it become, begins to mean something to you. And then your desires for it change. Then other people view it as something different. And we start to see things change in the society that we walk in. Hey, all the change in the world starts right here with me as an individual. It starts right there where you're sitting with you as an individual, when you start to do and desire God's will in your life, when you start to desire what God desires for you more than what the world has to offer, then change starts to take place in every aspect of your life, in every relationship that you have. That job that you're dreading tomorrow isn't so dreadful anymore because it has purpose 
And it's a God-defined purpose. But when you just kind of get by and just hope to get to the end and stay before, stand before God and go, whoo, we made it, then everything becomes a drag. And it shouldn't be a drag. It really shouldn't be. It all has purpose. For those of you that haven't gotten there yet, I hope that this becomes a place where you get some information so that you can make a wise decision about marriage. Where you can go into it with the right mindset and the right expectations. You see, for most people, most girls especially, they have this fairy tale image from the time they're wee little bitty. And these expectations that they have for marriage and this great wedding and all this that surrounds it. Then this poor guy gets sucked into it. (laughs) And he can't live up to those expectations because they're not reality. And then feelings are hurt, right? And then people are disappointed, right? It shouldn't be that way. You should have a realistic expectation based on what Scripture says it's supposed to look like. You should know and understand that inside of your marriage, there's got to be a lot of room for grace. Because <laughs> these days, I'm going to come home and the man is going to just pour out grace and just shake her head and go, I don't know how he got home. Because <laughs> I'm still wrapped in flesh. And you're still wrapped in flesh. And there's going to be those days. Man, as hard as I try, as much as I strive to be everything God desires for me to be, I still come up short. And some days are shorter than others. And if that grace is not in place and that mercy is not in place, those are going to be very hard, difficult days that some people are never even able to overcome. Right? But when you walk into it with the expectation and the understanding that this isn't about perfection, there's going to be some grace required. There's going to be some mercy required. There's going to be some forgiveness required. Then you can get through those days hardly even scathed. So let's get into looking this morning at what God desires for our marriage to be. Now, I'm still in Ephesians. I'm still going to go back through to where we were at. I'm Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. Uh, you've heard these already. You've read these already, and that's good for you to hear it more than once. But that's where we're going to start at this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we're going to read through verse 33. <clears throat> where I had it broke up into two different places, we're going we're to go all the way through it this time. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as Christ submit, uh, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you again to say thank you for another day of life, to, to say thank you for the opportunity to be gathered in your house and in your presence. Father, I just pray for you to allow us to um, know and understand your desires for each one of us as individuals this morning. Father, we pray that you would be with those that are not able to be with us, those that are traveling. We ask that you would keep them safe. Father, we just ask that each one would be mindful of, of your presence, even on vacation, even on a trip. Father, that they would not forget that our desire is to fulfill your will. Father, we just ask for you to guide us through this message this morning. I pray, Father, that you would bind up my opinions and only your words would flow out of my mouth. I thank you, I love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might want to keep your um, Bible handy this morning. I didn't give anybody a list of verses this morning. We, um, Nathan's out of pocket and Leanne's trying to fill in. And I'm going to test her this morning and see how well. Y'all done seen her stand up here and sing. We know she does that good. We're going to see how well she is on that keyboard. So I'd keep my Bible handy. She may not be as quick as Nathan is. So we're going to run through a few scriptures over here. And again, I didn't give her nothing ahead of time. So if she finds it before you do, she's pretty cool, swift, right? Let's start in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and what we're looking for this morning is how to give our marriage, <coughs> excuse me, how to give our marriage purpose um, so that we may walk worthy in marriage. Walk worthy in marriage. Genesis chapter 2. Look, I had that marked and didn't even use the marker. Boy, I'm a genius. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 22, now I want to I capture all of this for you first and make sure we keep things in context. Genesis 2, 22, I want to go back up to verse 18 just to kind of get you to scan over it and look at this. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. Now, he goes out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now look at this process and look at the order of this process. God says it's not good. It's the first time in all of creation, in the process of creating things, that God said something's not good. Something was not good. And what was not good is that man would be alone. He starts forming animals and beasts and birds and fishes and all this other stuff, right? And what he had created, he had created in pairs so that it may multiply and continue to grow. Now he's going to parade those things in front of Adam. And they're coming at Adam two by two and he's going to name everything. And in this process, it's meant to show Adam that it's not good that he should be alone because as the deer come up, there's a buck and a doe. As the cows come up, there's bulls and cows, right? There's twos. There's a male and a female, but he stands over here by himself without a female. And God said that that's not good. 
that man should be alone. So I'm going to create him a helper. But before he done that, he paraded these animals in front of Adam. Why? So that Adam would see for himself that there's nothing God has created that's comparable to him. They coming in twos and that kind of stirs up this thing in him that says it ain't good that I should be alone. But he also has to spend time and name each one of these creatures. And as he names them, he figures out there's nothing in the whole world, nothing that God has created that's comparable to him. And then in verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he causes Adam to go to sleep and he takes a rib out. And he takes the rib from the man and, and he makes a woman. And he brought her to the man. Now he's looked at everything else that's been created and decided there's nothing there that's comparable to him. There's nothing suitable for a mate or a helper in all of creation. So God causes a sleep to fall on him, takes a rib out, creates woman. And look at Adam's reaction. Then the man said... This is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He found a helper. He found one comparable to him. And his response was, this is bone of my bones. and She's like me, right? Not the same, but she's like me, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to call her woman because she was made out of man. This kind of puts everything in perspective if you'll slow down and look at it a little bit. And it puts us where we belong. You see, in society we've been told that there is no difference between boys and girls, men and women. There's a difference. There are multiple differences. First of all, the purpose for which you was created is different. There's a difference. Now, if we take the strongest man in the world and put him in a strength contest against the strongest woman in the world, who wins? No, it don't, sister. It don't depend. Who wins? The strongest man. Why? Because we're designed that way. It, it's designed that way. Now, is that to say that there is never a woman stronger than a man? No. No, there are plenty of women stronger than me. I, you don't have to prove it. <laughs> no need for that. But do you see that there's a difference? And it was created to be a difference. Equal, but not the same. Both are equally important to God, but by far not the same. Two distinct Distinctly different roles, right? These assignments are different, and what God intended for you to do as a man is not the same thing that God intended for them to do as a woman. There are differences. Even though we're told today that you can just... Listen, y'all, it's getting crazy. It's getting so far out of hand. There are, there are, there are men that are waking up and deciding that they are, are women... And because they um, feel that way, we have to respect that and honor that and let them do whatever they want to do as a woman when they're really not a woman. They're taking over the sports world. There are men, wrestlers, 
that are on women's wrestling teams. You know why? Because they identify as a woman. I can identify that you ain't a woman. <laughs> See, we have two different groups here for a reason, right? It's a simple test. We won't go into that. If you do, you're a man. If you don't, you're a woman. It was designed that there is a difference. There is a difference. We've got to establish that or we can't figure out what we're supposed to look like as a marriage because we can't decide who's supposed to be married and who ain't. That's twisted. That's not okay. That's not the way it was designed to be. And if we want to be what God desires us to be, we've got to get back to what God originally designed. And this is what He designed. A woman that was created out of a man to be His helper. There it is. One man, one woman. What's so confusing? I don't, I don't get it. We've got to get back to that, and we've got to stand on that. And as Christian boys and girls, we've got to stand for that. We have no choice. It's not up to us to decide. It's the way God created it, and it's the way it has to be. And then when things get out of order, you get what we have in society today. It's all out of whack, and it's all twisted and turned. And we look around and go, how did we get here? I can tell you. We got away from this. All right, the same thing happens inside our marriages. When we don't allow our marriage to be exactly what God designed for it to be, that's how we get into this condition we are in in our society. Because think about it. The basis and the foundation for society itself is marriage. Right? Right? That's the way it's supposed to, that's what it's supposed to be. That's who multiplies is the married people. Right? That's how you end up with a household is you get a man and a woman and they get married and they have children. That's society. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now there's people like my wife and myself, Kevin and Chastity, they ha can't have their own. They go grab up somebody else's and go to raising them. Right? But it's still the same thing, right? It's still the same basis and that's the basis for our society. And when you get the foundation broken, guess what? The whole house will fall. That's what we have today. We've got to get back to the basis of what God designed marriage to be. Keep going with me. I'm going to try to hurry through this. So in Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Does that sound like a temporary arrangement to you? It don't me either. It doesn't me either. It's not designed to be playing house. It's not designed to be living together and trying to figure it out. It's designed for a man and a woman to come together in the holy estate of matrimony and begin a family, reproduce, and that's where society is based. When you change any element of that, you've broken it. And that's how we get to where we are today. That's the original purpose of marriage. That's the original intent for marriage. And I could go into the S word and go into all of those explanations too. Too many little ears in here for that this morning. 
but you know what I'm talking about. When it takes place outside of marriage, it's broken. It's not intended for that. It, that's how you get to That's how people end up selling it. It's broken. It's not intended for that. It has a purpose. It is supposed to be joyful and fulfilling for married people. <laughs> that's what it's designed for. That's how two become one flesh. But when we get it out of place and we get it out of whack and we get our priorities jacked up and janked up, we end up with what we've got in society today. No, no daddies, no mamas, no husbands, no, no, no raisins, no foundations, no solid nothing. It's just wishy-washy and do what feels good today. That's not okay. That's not going to work. And if it continues, if we continue to go that route, guess what we'll continue to get? What we've got. At some point, somebody's got to put their foot down and go, it stops with me. I'm going to be the one that stands up and calls right, right, and wrong, wrong. It don't matter how the vote goes. What difference does that make? We don't need a vote. We have a Bible. <laughs> right? That's what matters. And if the Bible says it's right, it's right. And if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And that's just the way it is. And it'll just have to be that way. And the ones that, that are in the wrong are just wrong. I'm sorry. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about defining what God has already set forth. Look at this. There are so many people in our society today, and, and I, I don't know how this works among the women folks, but I know among the men folks it's a, it's a sad thing sometimes to bring up marriage, to hear some of the things men have to say about their wife. And I'm going, really? Really? And I'm not just talking about lost, and I'm talking about some Christian boys that I've had to take them to places like this right here because, listen, this relationship between husband and wife is meant to be a reflection of the image of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's a beautiful picture, right? And that's what marriage is supposed to be is that beautiful picture. Now, it takes two parties to make that beautiful picture. I get that. I know that. I know. But does Christ stop loving me when I'm in the church disobedient? Or when I'm not doing my part? Right? So I have a responsibility that is solely my responsibility, and, and she has a responsibility that is solely her responsibility in order for this image to become what it is. Now, inside of our marriage, there's purpose, and we've started on that purpose, but I want to show you some things. Pro go to Proverbs. Proverbs has some very interesting things to say about um, <clears throat> our wives and women and, and marriage. And because I hear these guys that, that just, I mean, they'll just flat blast all women, and I think, man, you haven't understood um, what this is all about. I want to show you how important and, and the, the um, weightiness that God puts on uh, marriage and, and wives and husbands. In, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. Proverbs 12, 4. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. An excellent wife is crown. Of her husband. You know what that means? She is a visible public honor. 
A crown. You know, a person, why does a person wear a crown? So people will see it, right? So people will see their royalty. So people will see the honor that they deserve, right? If a wife is her husband's crown, then she is the public, visible representation of his honor, right? Look at that. Now look at what else she can be. Wives, don't stop reading there. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Oh my, you're like a disease eating me from the inside out. <laughs> so there's, there's two distinct kinds of wives here, an excellent wife, huh, and a not-so-excellent wife, right? But look at the weightiness of this marriage thing. Go on to 18.22, Proverbs 18.22. We're going to stay in Proverbs here for a minute. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It doesn't say who finds the greatest wife or the, the right wife. We've gotten in our minds that there's, there's, you, there's a possibility you could marry the wrong person. Not true. No, you married them. That makes them the right person. Yeah, now it's not a matter of marrying the one you love. It's a matter of loving the one because you married them. And that's according to Scripture. Husbands, love your, wi your wives. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a good thing in the eyes of God. Marriage is a desirable and honorable thing in the eyes of God. And we've got the responsibility of getting it back to that. And if he finds a wife, he obtains favor from the Lord. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Favor. Do you see how God views marriage? Because if we take society's view of marriage and God's view of marriage and compare them, they're going to be very distinctly different. So what you and I have to do is develop the view that God has. So, so far we found out that a wife is a visible public display of honor. We found out that a wife is a good thing. So marriage is a good thing in the eyes of God. Go to 1914. Proverbs 1914 may not be right. Uh, yeah, yeah. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Prudent means marked by wisdom. Marked by wisdom. A gift from the Lord. Wow. Proverbs 31. 10. Y'all have heard this one before, but I wanted you to be reminded of it. An excellent wife who can find... She is far more precious than jewels. Far more precious. So how does God view... Does God look at marriage as this big drag on you as an individual? Does God look at it as some kind of hindrance to you becoming what He desires you to become? Does God look at it as some mixed up, jumbled up mess that if it don't work out, you turn over to go done? No, God puts a very large importance... And it's an honorable thing, and it's a good thing. And that's what we have to view it as. 
Because when we view it as the world or as society views it, it becomes disposable. It becomes not even, it's not even necessary. But that's not what God says about marriage. God says it's a good thing. That it's a desirable thing. God says that a wife, a prudent, I mean a uh, um, excellent wife is more precious than rubies or jewels. So that doesn't sound like what I'm hearing out of our society in reference to marriage. God has given this thing purpose. He has designed it to accomplish something. But see, what happens is you and I get laxed and lazy, and we don't even re remember that our, our personal lives have purpose. You know, God didn't put you here just to watch you wander through life, to see how bad you could mess it up. <laughs> he gave you a purpose, and that purpose is to be a reflection, right, of His glory. Right? So that when people look at you, they see there's something about you that's different from the rest of the world. So that they'll desire what you have and you can point them to Him. Can I tell you that the same is true for your marriage? That God put it here to be a reflection. So that when people look at a Christian marriage, they see something they don't see just anywhere. And they ain't able to put their finger on it all the time, but it causes them to ask maybe and say, you know... There's something different, but what is different? And you can go, bow, and point him to God. That's what your marriage is supposed to. Marriage ain't about you being happy. God don't care about your happiness. And see, what happens is we pursue happiness, and you wander through life, your whole life, pursuing something that's not tangible. Oh, happiness, man, if I just had a new truck. <laughs> Guess what, in a year and a half, and you've run that thing through 14 dishes. Huh? It ain't new no more. And it don't supply happiness. Well, if I just knew you had a new house. And then you figure out you got to clean it and pay to heat it. and <laughs> It ain't happiness no more. See, what's happening is you're pursuing something that's not tangible. Happiness is not tangible. Oh, it may temporarily make you happy. But then you got to have something else. But if you'll pursue godliness, you'll trip over happiness. Because see, godliness is attainable, and it's not fleeting. It's the same definition when you start as it is when you finish. So inside of your marriage, instead of pursuing your happiness, if you'll pursue godliness, you'll find happiness. See, here's the thing. The Bible says there's only one Lord, right? One baptism, uh-huh, and one spirit. It says that, right? One spirit. All right, so if as a Christian, when I become a Christian, I'm filled with the spirit, right? If my wife is a Christian, when she becomes a Christian, she's filled with same spirit, right? Ain't but one spirit. He lives in me and he lives in her. At what point is the spirit at odds with himself? What? So what that means is, is when we disagree, one or both of us is not walking in the Spirit. That's all it can mean. Because otherwise we would be saying that the Spirit is at odds with Himself. And He's not. He never is. See, what we've got to begin to retrain our minds to think 
this is temporary. And we sell ourselves out to pursuing things that are temporary and not focusing on the things that are permanent and for eternity. And when we do that, we have to trade off. Right? Because you can't, according to Scripture, wherever your treasures are, that's where your heart is. So you can't have it in both places, right? So you're either going to pursue what is eternity or you're going to pursue what is temporary. And when we pursue the temporary things of this world, we lose focus of the eternal things and we don't care what God thinks. <laughs> and that's the truth. That's, that's really the trade-off and that's the true statement. When you're pursuing the things of this world, you don't give a rip what God thinks. If you did, you wouldn't be chasing after this temporary stuff. It wouldn't be about happiness. It'd be about pleasing God and living a life that proves that in every aspect. Whether I encounter you in church or in your house or my house or Walmart or Johnson's or work or whatever, it shows. And some people are pretty good at church. I wouldn't sit up straight and wear nice clothes. Amen. Everyone's, well, some of you's like, yes, amen, amen, right? It's like an alarm goes off. But it, it's hard to fake on a day-to-day -day basis. You know who knows you better than anybody else in this world, aside from your creator? is your spouse, your children, your family. See, what I'm trying to do is get you to understand this, because, because what we have to have in order for God to be glorified is a household, household of godliness. And the foundation for that is godly husband, godly wife, godly marriage. You've got to set the foundation first. Now how do I become a godly husband and a godly father? First, I've got to be a godly man, Right? How does she become a, a godly wife and a godly mother? First, she's got to be a godly woman. Then you put that together and you have a godly foundation. Now, I'm not saying that you're perfect and you don't ever mess up and don't ever get an art. Listen, I told you all about four, four, three or four weeks ago, I came to church, maddest man you ever seen. Nobody here knowed it. I've perfected this Sunday morning thing too. Ain't no different than the rest of you. But it got to be able to recognize it. And look at it and go, that ain't right, that ain't okay, and it's not acceptable. And I got to make whatever adjustment I got to make to not let that happen. To not be a part of that and to not live in that. Keep going with me. John 13, 35. We're going to establish some things after we've established purpose. John chapter 13, verse 35. I tell you what, Leanne's pretty good. I may just go with her, you know. She's, she's, she's getting them there before I can get there. And I said, if that's the case, she must be pretty good. John 13, 35. I still ain't there. John 13, 35. We said that the purpose of marriage was to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. Look at this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you're able to love people, 
then people will recognize you as God's disciples. How much more will that be true inside of the second most important relationship you have on this earth? When people look at me and see that I love my wife, then it tells them that I am God's disciple. When people look at her and see that she loves me, it tells them that she is God's disciple. Do you see the weightiness of this marriage thing? Are you starting to see the importance that God has put on marriage? This isn't about a game. This isn't about playing house. This isn't about seeing if we can pull it off. It's about obedience to God that pleases God. It's not about pursuing happiness. It's not about looking for the right one. It's about understanding on entry how important it is. And understanding that once I'm in it, I'm in it. I've got to figure it out. Now sometimes you have a situation where one's doing all I can do to figure it out and the whole time the other's walking away. You know, that happens. God does not dispose of people because their marriage didn't work. I'm not saying that at all. Nobody, nobody's been disposed of from anything God does because their marriage didn't work. I'm not preaching that at all. It happens. It happens. It happens to some really good folks. It really does. But you've got to enter into it knowing that God has put a lot of weight on it. See, we've got to look out across our society and find the things that are broken and begin to address them. If not, we're just always going to have what we've got now. And that's brokenness. And everywhere that you look, brokenness. One of the ways that I do that is to love other people. And how much more important is it inside of my marriage? Well, according to what we've seen this morning with all the purpose and weightiness that God's put on it, it's pretty doggone important. Pretty important. Keep going, we're about done. I got a few things about marriage I just want to share with you. Marriage is the most intimate of human relationships in which couples learn to model Christ's love. My marriage should be the place where I learn to model Christ's love. Remember I was talking about earlier having room for grace and having room for mercy and leaving room for for me to mess up because I'm wrapped in flesh. I'm going to do that from time to time. That's the way Christ works, right? He doesn't stop loving me because I mess up. If he did, I wouldn't be here in front of you today, right? Matter of fact, he died for me while I was still a sinner. Still a sinner. Marriage provides unique opportunity to reflect God's glory as a couple. Marriage provides unique opportunity to reflect God's glory as a couple so that when people recognize that difference, you're able to point to Him. That's why we're here, is to point everything back to God, is to be a reflection, a reflection of His glory. And the representative of that is the image of Christ, right? Christ was here to show us what that looks like. So if we're being a reflection as individuals, then we'll be a reflection in our marriage. 
Marriage provides a platform for accomplishing God's intentions for mankind. Marriage provides a platform for accomplishing God's intentions for mankind. It's another platform for us to live out our purpose that God originally intended. And what was that? Be a reflection. Be a reflection. There is no biblical evidence of the wrong person theory. So if you're sitting in your marriage thinking, I think I may have just married the wrong one, there's no biblical evidence that says that. There's no scripture that says there is a specific single person for each individual single person. You're just making some bad decisions. You're pursuing happiness and not godliness. You've got to pursue godliness. The fact that you married them makes them the right one. Just throwing that out there. This is not about, uh, marriage is in no way about your happiness. You've got to pursue godliness. You'll find happiness. And marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. That won't be enough. 50-50 won't cut it. Both must be giving 100% to pursue godliness in order for it to be a marriage that glorifies God and fulfills its original purpose. 50-50 is not enough. You know, it's like the, um, the idea that practice makes perfect. If you practice right, right? Perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you practice with a bad habit, or you practice with a bad technique, in other words, if I decide in order to please God, I'm just going to be good. And I practice being good all I can. Am I going to stand before God and Him go, Boy, I'm sure I'm glad you practiced being good and you was good at it. No, say I got a bad technique. That ain't how you please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what I ought to be practicing is faith. Not being good. Right? If you go out here and learn to throw a ball um, at, at a young age and, and your technique's bad, what's going to show up in your performance? Bad technique. Perfect practice makes perfect. You've got to practice the right things. You've got to work on the right things. You've got to pursue the right things. And I'm wrapping up. Go with me to Joshua 24. This is where we'll be going to from here over the next couple of weeks. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, at some point, somebody's got to make the decision that as for me and my house, that as for, as for inside of my marriage, we're going to pursue godliness. We're going to do this thing the right way. And we're going to go against everything that society says is okay and all right. 
and we're going to turn this ship around. You know, we're on a great big old ship, and it's going the wrong way. It takes a long time to turn a ship. You don't just, you don't just hit the brake and turn the wheel. It's a, it's a slow, steady process. But at some point, somebody's got to turn the wheel, right? It's time for us to start turning the wheel and start addressing these things and start making these things represent what God intended for them to represent. Start pursuing godliness over happiness and start living a life that screams that I am worthy of my call as a husband or as a wife that my marriage represents a marriage that is worthy of my call as a parent or as children as an employee or an employer but until we get our focus right there's no way we're going to make an impact on anybody else right it starts with me if I can get that guy that I shave with every once in a while to act right I got this thing whooped, but he won't act right. I tell him and tell him, and he won't act right. He, he don't listen. He's hard-headed. Somebody said he's got a head like a hickory nut. Y'all stand up. We're going to sing. I'm going to encourage you to come to this altar and address whatever God may have spoken to you this morning. Listen, we're still, we're still on this thing about being um, worthy of your call. Walking worthy of your call. First, you've got to hear the call. And if you haven't heard the call, today's the day to, to address that issue as well. To become a Christian. To start a journey with Jesus as Lord and Savior. So that godliness is more important than happiness. Today's the day for that. Maybe you're on this walk and you've gotten dragged down, sluggish. Lazy even. Today's the day to start afresh. To redeem the time and say, that's enough. From this day forward, I want to do it right. I want to do it a way that glorifies God. Whatever the case may be, I pray that you'll address it this morning.